Dose of Leadership Podcast, Episode 78. Welcome to another episode of the Dose of Leadership Podcast, the show that brings you inspiring and educational interviews with today's most relevant and motivating leaders. Each episode is dedicated to highlight real-life leadership and influence experts who dedicate their lives to the pursuit of the truth, common sense, and courageous leadership. And now, here's your host, Richard Ryerson. Hey everybody, welcome to the show. This is Richard Ryerson. Thanks for tuning in to another episode. This show is brought to you by my sponsor, Audible.com. If you're like me, you like to read, but you're having trouble finding the time to squeeze in all those great books, well, Audible.com is a perfect solution. Audiobooks are great. I never thought I would like them, but I love them now. It's a great way to get caught up. I listen to and get caught up on the book as I'm driving to work, if I'm exercising, any free time, working out in the yard, I can get caught up in all my reading. You can go to uh, my website, doseofleadership.com slash audible. And you can uh, download a free audiobook. Any audiobook they have, over 100,000 titles to choose from. You can download it for free, listen to it. You can sign up for 30 days with no obligation. If you don't like it after 30 days, you can cancel your subscription. But again, it's no risk to you. Go check out doseofleadership.com slash audible and make your smartphone smarter. Well, I'm absolutely thrilled to have on my show Pejman Gadimi. He's the founder and author of the Third Circle Theory. It's a powerful theory which explains how some of today's top visionaries are made. In the past 10 years, Pejmont has held multiple leadership roles at the vice president level for Fortune 500 companies and has established several successful offline businesses, including Secret Consulting and VIP Motoring. Since the age of uh, 25, he's been financially independent and has dedicated the majority of his time to bringing the Secret Entourage brand to life, which we're going to find out how, out here in a little bit, a unique organization which focuses on helping motivate and improve the lives of of Young Entrepreneurs Worldwide. Pejmond, welcome to the Dosa Leadership Podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. Well, I'm so excited. You know, when I was looking at Secret Entourage and when we were talking the other day in the, in the kind of the pre-interview call, I followed entrepreneurship my, my a long time. I went to an entrepreneurship camp right before I started college 26 years ago in 1987, and they brought in all these huge big-name entrepreneurs. And one thing I found out by going through your site and uh, and studying your background, I love how you're passionate about kind of bringing entrepreneurship back to the to the forefront. And I remember back then, 26 years ago, man, there were so many great entrepreneurs there, and you're just so motivated. And it, you think it's kind of lost its luster. Can uh, can you explain that a little bit to me? Sure. Yeah, I think that uh, entrepreneurship has definitely shifted in terms of what people perceive an entrepreneur to be. And what, which people actually perceive themselves to be entrepreneurs as well. Um, back in the day, I think just being self-employed was something very few people did. So having a job ultimately was like a very glorified thing. And those that really defy the status quo were those people who ventured off and started their own businesses. Well, as that evolved, I think a lot more people now are starting businesses. Now, they're not necessarily succeeding. They're not doing something out of the norm. They're just substituting their jobs for working for themselves, but ultimately doing the same thing, trading their time for money. And I think back in the day, entrepreneurship was more about these people doing something others had not done yet and opening ultimately a new path that others could follow. So even though their behaviors might have been similar to what many people are doing today, they were the first to do it. Therefore, they were pioneers ultimately advancing society and impacting people around them to ultimately learn from them. And I think with today's technology boom and the finance boom and everything else, 
and also unemployment rates being so high, is given this kind of like unemployment equals kind of people who work for themselves and equals entrepreneurship, which is totally untrue if you ask me. To me, an entrepreneur is someone who creates, innovates, and as a result impacts those around him. Mm. And that impact doesn't have to be necessarily by just, you know, giving money back or anything of that sense, but rather uh, either employing people or helping advance the lives of people around them and ultimately helping them kind of find their own way as a result. That's interesting. I love that. I love how you're kind of um, uh, bringing that to the focus. I think that for me, and and maybe I'm naive and maybe I'm just kind of coming to the game late, but especially since doing this podcast and I've interviewed a handful of entrepreneurs, again, I've followed entrepreneurship um, for the better part of my life. I'm fascinated by it. But I seem to think, especially in the millennial side, there seems to be a lot of young folks who seem to get that piece of it, the purpose piece, the what, why are we doing, let's do something bigger than, I'm, than ourselves. It's not a, about just making money. Is there really a shift happening or am I just kind of seeing this because my eyes have been widened? Well, I think, you know, ultimately we, we as an organization want that shift to occur, which is what we work really hard for, is we want more young people to want to make a difference rather than ultimately making, just creating something for the sake of making money. Now, we do see more and more younger individuals, I would say, kind of taking on projects of that nature that may seem like very unique and, and that seem like they're thriving kind of change. But unfortunately, because not too many of them are succeeding, uh, I don't think they've yet earned the word or the name of being or being worthy of being called an entrepreneur yet. Mm. But nonetheless, I think a lot, a lot of millennials are hoping to create a lot of, I guess, innovation, in a sense, within their own industry. The real issue, though, like, like you kind of said, is that ultimately they're trying is the key word, and they're not necessarily succeeding as much, and so we'd like to help them succeed by helping them build a better foundation so they can actually move ahead and, and get that title. And that's what the whole mission of Secret Entourage is about? Yeah, I mean, ultimately, we're here because it's no different than it's no different than leadership principles. So we can have an argument about you know leaders made or born, right? And right. the same can be applied to entrepreneurs. Are entrepreneurs born or made? And for us, we believe that everyone, regardless that it's leadership or entrepreneurship, everyone is made. No one is born that way. Everyone is made based on their circumstance, based on their observations, based on their experiences. And through those experiences, through that circumstance, and everything else they go through, they become a certain type of person. And that type of person, you know, either becomes a great leader, a great entrepreneur, or perhaps both, because they're not always related. Right. And so for for us, really, we believe that we want to help every one of these young entrepreneurs by helping them kind of grow the foundation around just entrepreneurship and leadership so that they're able and have a much better chance at actually succeeding throughout their journey, rather than just kind of getting a wall and giving up and continuously falling uh, into this cycle of, you know, instant gratification over and over. I love that. I love how you are, are entrenched and believe that leaders are certainly made, same with entrepreneurships and not bored. And I love how you delineate between entrepreneurship and leadership as two different skill sets, really, or two different uh, foundations. I know you and I were talking last week or earlier in the week that um, I kind of bought in the myth early on that all entrepreneurs were great leaders. As I worked with many entrepreneurs and, and worked for them, and a lot of the great entrepreneurs I worked for, they even admitted they weren't great leaders. They surrounded themselves with, with great leaders. 
how do you delineate the two? I mean, you obviously seem – I've met some great entrepreneurs who are great leaders. You seem to have a, a great foundation on leadership, yet you're a great entrepreneur as well. How do the two uh, come together? Well, I think for myself, I started as a great leader. Uh, I, I started as a person first, as a manager, and then evolved into becoming a leader. And then as I evolved in terms of my own leadership skills and really understood the type of leader I was and how I was able to impact people's lives through leadership, I then later on took on entrepreneurship. So I think for me it happened in different phases, which helped a lot. Uh, and also it helped the fact that, you know, I was able to lead teams prior to having them kind of, or, or prior to leading them just for my own uh, my own kind of organization. Mm-hmm. And that, that, again, helped a lot because once I did transition into being an entrepreneur kind of full-time, it, it was good to have all of those leadership qualities come together and be able to kind of bring together a team and, and help them kind of get together and ultimately create this baby, which was Steve Brown's at the time, and, and ultimately deliver on this vision we've had, especially since I had zero background in tech or anything else. Right. So I, I think just differentiating the two for me just happened because I went through different stages uh, of my life where first I went through the leadership stage and then later when I saw that the leadership where I was leading people wasn't really where I wanted to take them, I realized that perhaps I needed to start kind of on this unpaved road and head my own way mm. and kind of lead a specific type of individual to come with me and help pave this road. Oh, I love that. I love how I love the genesis of that journey. Let's go even further back. Where, where do you think the foundation, the first part, of your leadership journey, where it began? Where do you think the the foundations of that were forged? Well, I think I think the foundation primarily uh, was forged during my banking career. So for years, uh, I, I spent years working uh, in the leadership in uh, a major super regional bank. Uh, it had about roughly 300 officers or so, and it, it was it was one of those experiences where, like, I started at kind of a line manager level and kind of moved my way up mm-hmm. to the ranks. Yeah. But but it was quickly through having great mentorship uh, and having great people to kind of observe and watch that I quickly understood and learned uh, a lot about the core of the type of leader I wanted to be, but also the core principles that made a good leader ultimately. Who, if if you could if you could um, maybe identify, can you name a person or persons who had a tremendous impact on you as a leader? Maybe a, a mentor, and how did this person impact your life? Sure, absolutely. I mean, I uh, I was actually in in banking, and my mentor at the time was Ahmad. Uh, his last name was Ahmad Momen. He was actually, it still is, I think, a vice president over at uh, Capital One Bank today. And uh, he was, I mean, he was a tremendous influence in my life because. When he came into my life, he pretty much, he hired me for a position that I wasn't qualified for. Mm. And and he just, he was like, you know what? He just hired me instead of the other person that was actually into that role quite some time and had proven themselves, and yet he hired me. And so my curiosity gets best to me and asked him, I said, why did you hire me? Like, why not this other person? They would have done a much better job for you. Probably would have had the need for no training at all. You know, would have delivered on every concept you, you thought of right from the beginning, and you said because they've already had kind of their mindset forged a certain way, and I wanted someone I could train from the ground up to learn leadership my way. And I said, okay, so that kind of taught me very early on that if you believe in people and you give them the tools to succeed, then typically you can hire people based on character 
rather than just based on experience or based on a resume. Mm-hmm. You can really hire based on character and then grow that character or develop that character into becoming a great leader. Yeah, that is so absolutely true. I love that you just said that, and, I, and it's exciting. How old were you, how old were you when you were exposed to uh, this gentleman? I was eighteen. Eighteen. Wow, what a great lesson to learn at that age, and especially if you had the foresight to understand that. Um, yeah, so here he is. He, you obviously at eighteen, you don't have uh, credential wise. You maybe you got some a lot of life experiences. Uh, but you certainly don't have the resume as someone that was coming from a business school or something else would have or a financial degree. And so here's a guy that seems to notice something in you, your character, and, and kind of helps mold you, I guess. And, uh, wow, that, that's a great to, to get at such a young age. And it's- it, it really was. And, you know, like I, even I mentioned a lot in almost every one of my books, uh, and I talk about how, you know, taking chances really is part of leadership, right? Everything we do is a risk. Right. And as a leader, you know, you have to mitigate that risk. And you have to see how much of that risk is within your control and how much is not. And I think I learned very early on from, from Ahmad that the biggest risk we, we cannot afford not to take is to invest in people. Like, we have to invest in our teams. We have to invest in people we believe in, even if everything else seems to point otherwise. We must believe in people in order to grow people. And I think if for people to believe in themselves, someone else first has to believe in you. And that has that is contagious, and I think that's one of the key roles of a leader is that belief in their own people. Absolutely. Well, gosh, I can see how that would be a very powerful uh, arrow to have in your quiver as you started making the transition to the entrepreneurial side. I, I would think a lot of um, self-driven entrepreneurs who never had that, I, I can see even some great ones that uh, they didn't have that necessarily education that you had or the foresight that you had. Um, a lot of times they thought it was all about them. And um, a real famous entrepreneur, or a real one of uh, Jack DeBoer, who I worked for, and he started Residence Inn, he uh, had a kind of a transition late in life, and he tells the story of he thought he could walk on water until he's about halfway across, then he fell in. And it was that, you know, and he pretty much had hundreds of creditors, and he paid them all back, but that's kind of where he had his leadership transformation well late in life. So I think it's interesting how you kind of did that first and then kind of transitioned to entrepreneurship. Yeah, I mean, I, entrepreneurship, you know, at some point is, is leadership is about belief, right? You have to believe in in where you're actually leading people. You can only lead people. You can't really lead numbers. You can't lead sales. You can only lead people. And so, you know, once you define for yourself why people are following you, then you ultimately have to understand where you're actually, where are you actually going, where are you taking them. And if you choose that where you're taking them is ultimately not where you personally want to go, then as a great leader, you need to step back and actually give up your leadership right and not lead them because you no longer believe that you actually want to head in the direction they're supposed to head. And that's ultimately the same thing that happened to me, you know, working for others. I came to this realization that no matter what, five years, 10 years, 15 years down the road, I didn't want to be my boss's boss's boss. And I wouldn't even care if I was half their age by the time I got there. I just, that just didn't interest me anymore. And no matter how much money they were offering me, it just didn't interest me either. Yeah, and so I realized that perhaps that path was like had come to an end, and it was time to use the skills, use all of my learnings and experiences from the past, from the past, to actually kind of move forward on my own somewhere totally different. Are you at a place where you, if you're teaching a, a young 
entrepreneur or any entrepreneur for that matter that is kind of engaging in your services or talking to you, do you encourage them to understand leadership? Yes, actually, believe it or not, I, as an entrepreneur, I know this is going to sound really weird, but I encourage every 18 to 21-year-old to actually work at an organization and get promoted at least once within that organization. Mm. So a lot of people come to me and they're like, oh, I want to start my own business. I'm 16 years old. I'm like, that's great. Do that. Like, that's fine. Do that. And if you still have to go to school while you do that, do that too. But if you have an opportunity and you haven't been yet successful in entrepreneurship at a very young age, you know, you haven't hit that, like, big jackpot on something, even if it's out of luck, you still should go and work for someone else. You should know what it's like to work under good and bad leadership. Yeah. But primarily, bad leadership. Because yes. that'll make you realize how important great leaders are, and when you recognize them, either as mentors, as entrepreneurs, or anywhere else you see them, you'll have such a great deal of respect for them, and you'll pay attention much faster than when you have to have that experience. You know, that's great advice. You know, it may sound weird to some people. It doesn't, I mean, it makes absolute perfect sense, and it's refreshing to hear you say that. I guess you're right. I mean, if you look at uh, the, the, the entrepreneurs in, the, in, in a, the stereotypical way you look at it, you would not hear that. But uh, it's refreshing to hear you say that. I think that's great advice. What do you think one of the biggest uh, or the challenges that are facing leaders today? Uh, their lack of adaptability mm. to two things. First, I think their lack of being able to funnel information down from the top. So there's this huge conflict in major organizations today where, you know, you get information from the top, and then let's say it's, it's bad information, then the leader usually goes, well, I still have to relate this to my team. Or The funnel system is entirely broken. Right. So I think organizations don't, don't really invest the money uh, in educating their leaders and being better leaders. They just teach them how to be better managers at what they do. And so ultimately, what they're, what they're disconnecting their leaders from is their teams, because ultimately they're trying to build that loyalty upwards where leaders should have the loyalty downwards. And so there's all of this, what you call business politics, that become more and more relevant and ultimately end up hurting the core of leadership, which is ultimately to rule people and bring them up with you. And so I think that's the first thing that, that's extremely negatively managed by major organizations today. Uh, the second real component that I think uh, people are just forgetting these days in terms of leadership is you're leading people. You're not leading employees. You're leading individuals just like you, who have similar issues, similar goals, similar dreams, and who all want the same thing. And I think a lot of leaders forget that. I think they, they don't pay attention to the fact that for great leadership to take place and for employees to be their best and as engaged as they can be and really follow the leadership present and not just constantly argue with it or ultimately you know, decide to not believe in it and lose belief over time in it. The environment that we create for our employees needs to ultimately be there. Like, we have to create an environment where each person can ultimately grow at their fastest pace. And I think leaders today, because often good leaders have had years of experience, they sometimes don't necessarily connect with this younger audience that are coming into their, under their leadership. And they don't realize that these, these timing gaps are different. What, but before you would expect an employee to learn in like six months, these new people are learning in like three weeks. That's right. So they're getting bored. And unless we motivate people and we continuously keep them challenged and create an environment and put them in an environment where everyone else shares 
similar traits as human beings, then it's ultimately very difficult for leaders to kind of connect with the audience and ultimately grow all together rather than one person at a time. Those are some great insights. I mean, you're speaking uh, to your gosh dang. I mean, I really appreciate your insight. And for someone as young as you are, and it's great that you're so um, the insight that you have about leadership and organizations is great. I just find that completely refreshing. I know I keep saying that over and over again, but uh, you're spot on. I can't agree with you anymore. What characteristic do you think that as leaders we should all possess? I think is is key to anything. Like I'm a big believer that, you know, believing in what you're doing is is beyond key. Uh, no matter what, you just can't fake that. Like there there's no way. But I, I think the one the other characteristic that's that's critical to leader I don't know if it's really a characteristic or not, is it's just this and, and I can't stress this enough, but people have to understand engagement. And and I think leaders today just don't understand the difference between leading and managing, yeah, you know, and and I think the, the biggest thing I spent years myself kind of dwelling with this, and I was like, well, what's the good difference between a good manager and a great leader, right? Like they're both good. Some organizations just need managers; they shouldn't need leaders at the line level, you know. Like that, that's okay to have great managers. And I kept over over time, I kept asking myself, I was like, what is the difference? And then I remember when I was younger, I used to have a definition for it. I used to say, well, the one word that differentiates a leader from a manager is ownership. You know, it was like the mm. leader takes ownership and the manager doesn't, and that's the difference, right? Yep. And I was wrong. Like I was fully wrong. I used to, I used to kind of praise and pitch that for my employees and everything, and I was like, I just got it, and this is what it is. And I realized over time that that I was necessarily wrong, but it needed to be tweaked a little bit because sometimes great managers take ownership too, so it's not always accurate. Mm-hmm. And I realized. The real difference between a leader and a manager, regardless how good each is, is ultimately ownership, but ownership in human capital, not ownership in business. Oh, yeah. And I think that's what differentiates a leader from a manager, is that you can only lead people. Like, I keep saying that, but it's so true. You can't lead numbers. You can manage numbers, you can grow numbers, you can grow sales, manage sales, but you can only lead people. So if you need people, then you have to have a vested interest in the human capital you're leading. And that's your greatest asset. And I think that's the one thing that I think the one characteristic that, that leaders need is to understand what their human capital is and how they can actually grow that. That's great. I love that. You know, ownership of the human capital. That's a great way to put it. You're right. I mean, management is about efficiency, control, managing risks. You know, but leadership like you said, is direction, it's um, enthusiasm, it's inspiration, it's it's influence at the end of the day, and influence in the human capital piece. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love that. So what are you doing um, to, to continue to grow as a leader? What do I do in terms of continuing to grow myself as a leader? Yes. I, uh, I surround myself with amazing leaders uh, today. Like, I learn from every interaction I have. And more importantly, I actually reflect on one of the things I have, like FC Brown for us, which we use within our own organization, is is ultimately like we want to impact other people's lives, right? Right. So we ultimately always think within our own within our own organization, how do we impact each other's lives? So every time we have an interaction with anybody within our own organization, that it's a guest or that it's ourselves or 
just, you know, another coworker, a peer, anyone. I always ask myself after that, and I, and I tell every one of my employees to ask themselves the same thing, is what impact did you have on yourself through this interaction? What did you learn from it? And ultimately, what did they learn from you? How did you impact the person you just interacted with life? And if they can really answer that clearly, then they're becoming analytical enough to ultimately understand that the human element of how they're reading people and how they're being read back, and that, that's a very important part in terms of uh, our own ability for ourselves as leaders. And I do that the same exact thing no matter who I talk to, regardless of an interaction with you or, or a young entrepreneur who just uh, came about with this great idea and doesn't know where to go. I, I learn from everybody, and I always allow these new personalities and new types, and I enable myself to identify patterns uh, that I haven't identified previously and apply those to my day-to-day kind of leadership routine. I love that. A couple nuggets there that I, I took notes on what you said is surrounding yourself by other leaders I think is great. It's I always, always use the analogy, you know, if it's like if, if you want to become a better golfer, you don't go play with your drinking buddies, right? You go surround yourself with better – play golf with better golfers. It's the same thing with leadership, you know. You don't and, – and it's about getting out of your comfort zone. It may be uncomfortable getting around people that you don't even know but better leaders. But that I, – I love that advice. That's great advice. And then every opportunity that you have, you know, a lot of times the best um, – circumstances we find ourselves in is the best uh, leadership learning opportunity, right? It, it could be in an elevator. It can be at the convenience store when you're buying you know, your drink and paying for gas, whatever. All those opportunities are opportunities for leadership, really. You just have to kind of, as you said, tune in and be self-aware. Uh, and and there, there are opportunities everywhere if you look at, look at life that way. So, so I love that. And I agree with you. And I, and I think that one thing that's important to note here is that it's really about – it's not just with everything you do, but rather every interaction you have. Right. If leadership fully is about human capital, then ultimately it's the interaction with other human beings, right? People yep. that we don't necessarily need that can teach us things as well. It's just our interactions daily and our observations, and I talk a lot about that in the third circle period, but it's ultimately our, our daily interactions that enable us to improve and grow as individuals. So I definitely would urge every leader listening to this call or everyone wanting to be a better leader to definitely take the mental notes with every interaction they have instead of just dismiss them as someone with a different opinion or someone who is better or worse than they are today, but rather just kind of learn from every interaction they have with anybody. That's great. What do you think, what do you see some of the uh, the biggest mistake you witness leaders making more frequently than others? Anything stand out? Well, I mean, where to start? <laughs> I, I think I think poor leadership is one of the main things that drives me to uh, to, to do what I do today with Secret. And you know, we, we do have a department at Secret that really focuses on on corporate leadership and, and teaching that on the consulting side of things. And it's also what Secret Consulting is about. But I think the the main uh, concept, the main problem I see leaders today having is not only they don't relate to their staff, which we kind of talked about earlier, you know, they just don't understand who's there and, and what their staff really is, but I also think that the, the big mistake they make is they they always talk and motivate people, but they themselves are very unmotivated, mm. and ultimately they themselves, uh, it's not like lead by example, but... They, they also don't know how to set correct expectations and support their team to get them. So they feel that their words are just enough to drive results, right? So people, leaders usually come in a room uh, and, and express their intentions or what they want their teams to create, and they feel
feel like that should be enough. And, and then there's a, a follow-up process that goes on. But, but they, they often don't align their expectations with the person they're having these expectations from. And then before even putting these expectations forward, take a second and realize, can the person or has the person had the training necessary or have they gone through the experiences necessary to be able to meet these expectations? So the, the alignment of goals to expectations to delivery is totally, I mean, totally missing here. And I think that's one of the main things that, that a lot of senior leaders at organizations miss uh, when kind of dealing with line managers, and, and line managers simply don't want to say they don't have the capacity or know how to do something, so they just wave their heads and, and kind of go on to ruin the other five people's lives that work under them. But ultimately, I think it's, it's this misconception of what someone is capable of doing and our understanding of what we're asking them to do and are they given the proper training and support to actually go out there and deliver on it. Yeah, I think the other thing I was thinking about too when you were saying that is is not being afraid, you know, especially setting the expectations. Is don't be afraid to to get down and show them how you want it done or what you want it done. I think a lot of time there's this total hands off approach. Well, I don't want to be a micromanager. I'm not saying that at all. But a, a perfect example that I can give you is is a real life example is when you know, I used to work in the hotel industry and and uh, I'd see these property managers and they get promoted and now they've you know they now they've got the title of property manager. And um, now they just feel like they're just 100% delegation mode, and they felt like their words were enough, as you said, to keep them going in the right direction. And you know, if you're not happy with the way – I remember just how the bathroom is clean. If you're not happy with how it's clean, then get down on your knees and show them how you want it done, what your expectation is. Show them. And, and once you start doing that, you know, it was amazing how the results turned around just because you were willing uh, to, to step down and show them what you expected. Yeah, and the problem is sometimes the person actually having these expectations of you as a leader, because, you know, there is leader-to-leader kind of uh, conversations going on in organizations as well, right? Like senior leadership, executive leadership, and then so on and so forth now. I think uh, some of those, the quality of executive leaders or the quality of senior leaders in terms of, like, their understanding of human capital is also missing. And so a lot of times, like, it's just people usually hire people based on their own understanding of leadership, right? Like right. what they want leadership to look like, et cetera. And so sometimes that's not always a fit to the, to the actual individuals that these people are going to be leading because the people they're going to actually bring on board or are already there don't necessarily relate to that type of leadership to begin with. So I think it's just this missing element of understanding just the, how to actually interact with people and how to get them to drive results rather than just telling them yeah. and hoping that magically they're going to deliver. One thing I appreciate about you and, and studying your background, and, and I'd like the listeners to hear, I think this is a great opportunity to kind of uh, talk about uh, your mother and some of the lessons you learned from there. But you and I were on the phone the other day, we were talking about, I, I said, used the word failure, and I loved how you pointed out, well, I, I don't necessarily look at them as, failure in the sense and you and I agree that you know failure doesn't necessarily mean you pack up your bags and quit and go home it's you know I, I love how you view failure how entrepreneurs and leaders should look at failure as just another opportunity of a setback uh, to the ultimate goal so explain to me where you kind of got your tenacity bones if you will your resiliency uh, to bounce back from setbacks well I tell you you talked about my mom a little bit and I'm going to go into that because this is like the best story about, you know, 
staying consistent and, and doing something even though you failed over and over and over ultimately, mm-hmm. but never really giving up, right? So when we wanted to, when I was a little child and we wanted to come to America, we lived in France, we were refugees from the revolution in Iran, and then we wanted to come over to America, but obviously tension was high between America and Iran, and nobody could actually come uh, into America. Like, it was just difficult to get a visa, even some business, it was almost impossible. Especially because they knew that everybody that would want to come here, they would want to stay here and try to live here, and you know, illegally, etc. And, and it was exactly what we were trying to do. So that's why I go around that. It was exactly what we were trying to do. It was just not happening. But my mom, in order to do that monthly, uh, she attempted to go get a visa every month at the uh, embassy, which was about we didn't have a car, we weren't wealthy at all, you know. And in Europe, it actually at the time is very rare to have a car unless you get good money. But so we took the subway, which the embassy was about an hour away. Wow. And my mom uh, would take the subway, and I was a little child. She would drag me along because we didn't have money for a babysitter or anything. So she would drag me along to this embassy, which was an hour with the subway and, like, about 30 minutes walking distance once a month to attempt to get a visa. And every month, she would get thrown out of the embassy, literally, like, insulted or, or pushed or whatever it is. Her visa thrown in her face, and she was told she'll never go to America. Wow. She repeated that process. Believe me when I say this, every month for 11 years. Oh, my gosh. Until it happened. And until one day when they pushed her out, they actually injured her. They, you know, they pushed her. She fell. Uh, she wasn't, like, injured, like, broken bones or anything. She just fell down, and, and uh, embassy, like, the ambassador actually saw her fall down. He came back, and he saw what his employee did, and he was asking her why she was coming there every month. And she explained the situation. He went back in, and he came back, and he gave her a visa. He said, you can leave in the next two weeks, and you can only stay one month. But congratulations, you get to go to America. And I think that's a lesson that, you know, after 11 years and trying the exact same thing, she didn't change her strategy. She was just consistent and believed that it would happen one day. And I think she stuck with it uh, from the beginning to the end and over and over, regardless of the challenges of not having a car, regardless of the obstacles of not having a babysitter, having to drag a child to, you know, this, this subway and the safety and everything else concerned with, with all these things she was doing, ultimately because of the self-belief that she did this. So ultimately, I think to, to go back to what you were saying earlier about, you know, these are not really failures. They weren't failures. They're all learning experiences. Every time we fall down, if we stay down, then we've ultimately failed. If we stay down, knock down, and choose to do nothing, then we have failed. And that's, that's a genuine failure. I personally feel like I've never failed in my life because I've never given up on something I wanted, and I've gotten it, even if it took me three times longer or it was three times harder than what I expected it to be at the beginning. So I would say that even with Secret Entourage, you know, like we were trying to do something new that was never done before. And so we knew that it was going to be difficult. And we've had many failures. We've done things, nothing's happened. We looked at each other like, now what? You know, we spent all this time and effort building this. Nobody's reading it. Nobody's doing it. Like, what do we do now? And we could have easily walked away. I mean, I know how to make money a dozen other ways. You know, like, I would have done something else. Who cares? You know, like, it would have made even more money. And I don't even get paid from secrets, so it doesn't even matter. But it's ultimately what to say that I didn't want to give up on the belief that we can change the lives of a lot of young people. And we just have to stick to it, and we have to find a way that it's going to be accepted. And, and it just took a lot of dedication, a lot of not actually, like, staying down when we were, you know, shut down or made fun of or something bad happened or, you know, someone did something stupid and try to 
get something, a point across the wrong way. Like, all of these little things that would usually keep people down ultimately fueled us to know one more way it didn't work. And one, if one thing we have to do differently next time to try to get a different outcome. Yeah, you, you know, so many things to take out of that, but I think that what I always, what I hear and what I what always want people to believe is that, you know, tenacity is a choice. I mean, and it, it really is. And the difference between success and failure a lot of times, if not most of the times, is tenacity. And it is it is a choice. And so I, I, love, I love that story. I love that story about your mom. And I think that, you know, th- there's so much power in the belief that I'm going to suspend the belief on how I'm going to get this done. I just know I'm going to get it done. There's so much power in that. And so, so few people look at it that way. But when you start to, I believe anyway, that a lot of doors start to open up for you. Yeah, no, I agree fully. And that's actually why we, I created the Third Circle Theory, because it helps people manipulate their belief system. You know, it, it helps them understand their own belief system, where it originates from, and how to actually tweak it to get to that place where they believe enough in one thing they want to invest the rest of their life building. That's great stuff. I don't know. I'm really so thrilled to have, have you on the show and talk to you about this stuff. Where can people find you? Give a quick plug how people can uh, uh, find you. Sure. I mean, people can definitely they can check out Secret Entourage on secretentourage.com. It's, there's over 1,500 different articles on leadership, business, entrepreneurship. All of it is original content written by myself or individuals who have lived the experience and not just read about it somewhere or glorified speakers. And so they can go on supermontrise.com, check out you know all the great success stories of people and articles, and they can pick up the book anywhere books are sold. And it's called Third Circle Theory, and it can be picked up at Amazon, Barnes & Noble. They can also pick it up at thirdcirclebooks.com. Uh, where they can actually just buy uh, the book by itself, the audio book, or the bundle of uh, all the books that Super Entourage uh, has in its directory. I'll have links to that in all this post uh, that that we talked about here. Last question, the best advice you could probably give. You gave some good advice to young folks to, hey, go out and get that you know job in an organization, ex- you know, get a little experience under your belt. What advice would you have for that uh, person that's getting into a leadership role for the first time? I think that's that's actually a fantastic question because there's a lot of people uh, getting into leadership without having previous leadership experience. Uh, I think that the one thing about leadership that's important for new people is don't try to be a big leader when you're not. Be genuine and pay attention to the people you're leading. That doesn't mean control them. That doesn't mean go out there and tell them what to do. It just means pay attention to who they are. And you'll see that leadership will come naturally as a human being and your way to care for them. You're ultimately their, their parent. You're their leader. You're their guardian. You're their everything, even if they don't accept you as such. But it is ultimately your social responsibility to grow their talents and make sure they are helping grow the talents of their peers that are right next to them, other people you're leading. And so it, it's key for you not to try to be a great leader when you're not one or you're just starting, but rather be genuine and pay attention to those you're leading and make sure you always know where you're taking them. Wow, what a great way to end an interview. Speaking the truth, my friend, I'm so glad you came on the show. Thanks for coming to the Dose Leadership Podcast, Pejwan. No, I appreciate you having me on. Yep, stay on the line. We'll, uh, I'll stop the recording, but we'll chat for a couple seconds. Thanks for coming on. 
Richard invites you to become a part of the Dose of Leadership community. Visit doseofleadership.com and sign up to receive his free Common Sense Leadership ebook, a guide that highlights how all of us can learn to become calm, confident, consistent, and courageous in all aspects of our lives. Richard is also available as a speaker for your next event. Richard specializes in practical leadership and change management. He has a philosophy of inspiring everyone to think and act like a leader, which is based on timeless natural principles and common sense. You can get more info by visiting doseofleadership.com.